Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey guys, uh, this is our part two of our Torah discussion. I got Ross here with me again. Hello. And uh, I just want to make a few notes here. I've been listening. I've been re-listening to some of our old podcasts at, at my work, and I noticed I made a few errors that I just want to correct because I'm just a perfectionist like that, and it'll bother me if I don't. Um. So, remember when I talked about smog, you know, and the Hobbit being a representative of an al- being an alchemical symbol? Yeah. Okay, so I said that that symbolized mercury. That's incorrect. I feel like an amateur for saying that, but <laughs> obviously smog would represent sulfur, not mercury. Uh, the Arkansone would represent the mercury. You know, smog obviously being the fiery element, which would obviously be sulfur. Um, so another thing I said that I've kind of been thinking about after I re-listened to it, and I, I I definitely misspoke on this as well. So remember when we were talking about Revelation? I said that all I thought all of Revelation had been fulfilled. Uh huh. So I'm gonna make a qualification on that. So I I kind of been re I've been thinking about that and. Uh, I think all of Revelation, basically up until Revelation 20, was fulfilled, more or less. The, uh, Revelation 20 parallels Ezekiel 38 with the, the Gog Magog War. Yeah, and then the you know the Great White Throne Judgment, and that's so. I don't think I don't think any of that's happened yet. Okay. So yeah, I wanted to clarify that. Your audio is like really bad, by the way. I can barely hear you. Oh. How about now? It's a little bit better. What were you saying? Um. So, is there going to be a double fulfillment still, or? Yeah, yeah, I, I still, yeah, I still think there's going to be a double fulfillment of all the all the former stuff leading up to that, but. Okay. I don't think uh, the Gog and Magog war happened in the first century, or uh, you know the Great White Throne Judgment, obviously, or um, well, yeah. I mean, I think a resurrection happened, but not not the same resurrection that's going to happen before the Great White Throne Judgment. We'll just put it at that. Does that make more sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I just wanted to clarify those points. Um. So I mean, do you want to take it away? Or? Yeah. Well, we left off. Um, We're going to talk about po- polygyny more and yeah, uh, polyandry. All righty. So 
people who are listening, if they've made it that far, I find that a very common response is to react with uh, a very strong mental resistance to the idea that God would allow polygyny. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the very common objections that I have uh, encountered when I try to bring this up in the uh, various online theology groups that I've been in uh-huh. is that this would be cruel to the women <laughs> or that this would even be a sin because it's basically committing adultery because you're having sex with another person besides your first wife. You know how you um, can collapse all that immediately? Oh. Just ask them by what standard. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Because, I mean, they don't have... They have no objective standard they can appeal to outside of God's. And, I mean, if he approves of it, then you just you just destroyed your whole your own argument. <laughs> yeah, no, all they have you is know? their... Uh, their feelings, their arbitrary feelings. Their feces, yeah, their feces. Yeah. yeah. But, uh... Uh, another excuse is just that uh, God God allowed this back then. Um, the idea of you know they were so backwards and primitive and harsh patriarchal culture that God just kind of had to leave that part alone for a while. Right. But eventually He fixed it with Jesus, which is, as I'm about <laughs> to show, not true at all. Yeah, yeah, they're operating off this whole Pelagian Ar- Arminian construct that oh, you know, the whole free will thing, and you know, Jesus came to set us all free and liberate us, you know, from all the the the, the bad oppressive determinism of the Old Testament and the you know. Old Testament God and all that, you know, the whole the whole political structure and everything, yeah. Mm-hmm. Make us individual sovereigns. Hold on, I'm doing something. Give me just a second. <laughs> okay. Got to take my vitamins. All right. So, but but uh, there are two verses that prove that not only is polygyny not a sin, but in a few cases it was required. When I when I show this to people, they go ape shit if they're resistant <laughs> to the idea. If they've already decided in their head that no, I don't like this idea that polygyny is allowed. This is the part that just pisses them off. All right, so Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. This is the uh, the Leviret marriage requirement. Yeah. I'm going to pull it up here. Is it Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10? Yeah. All right, here we go. 
I got it. If you want me to read it. Uh, yeah, go ahead. It says, uh, when brethren uh, dwell together and one of them dieth, having no son, the wife of the dead shall not marry outside to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her unto him to wife and do for her as a husband's brother. And it shall be that the firstborn which he beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother who is dead. So shall his name not be wiped out from Israel. But if the man like not to take his sister-in-law, then shall his sister-in-law go up unto the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother hath refused to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He is not willing to do as a husband's brother unto me. Then shall the elders of his city call him and speak unto him, and he shall stand and say, I like not to take her. Then shall his brother's wife come near unto him in the presence of the elders and draw his shoe from off his foot, or sandal, from off his foot, and spit in his face, and respond and say, Thus shall it be done unto the man who will not build up the house of his brother. Yep. Yep. And uh, people are going to say, okay, well, that says nothing about polygyny. But uh, the question is, and this might be a rare scenario, but not non-existent. What if there were only two brothers, and the first one was the one who died, and the second one already had one wife? In that case, he would have to become uh, polygynous. Sure. Yeah, that would fall by necessity, yeah. Or, or else he'd be publicly shamed and stripped of his name. Yeah. You know? Yep. And and uh, this is the sin of onanism. And, not- and is, not- you know, notice, too, you could easily make a counter-argument, too, to just completely shatter their response to that and be like, well, obviously, I mean, wouldn't God have thought of that? I mean, if you would, if you wanted to make that kind of stipulation and be like, oh, by the way, if if the brother already has a wife, but there's no such thing in there. Yeah. See that? So, so yeah. I mean, they're they're arguing from silence on that. So, I mean, they have no basis to do that whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, see, we're told that uh, the sin that Onan, son of Judah, committed was masturbation, or that's that's the definition of. Onanism. Now. <laughs> um, but Onan's sin was failing to raise up a heir for his dead brother. Right. According according to this custom. Right. To preserve it, his it's name. It's interesting. It's interesting that that was even before the Torah was given to them. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, but uh, you know, and then so God had already killed. The firstborn of Judah, his name was Er, E-R. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Onan did this, and God killed him too. And there was only their little brother left, and he was too young to marry. Or right. Judah didn't want to give him away to uh, Tamar, right, the widowed uh-huh. uh, sister or sister-in-law now, wife. Yep. And uh, Tamar had to wind up uh, seducing Judah the you know her previous two husbands father into uh sleeping with her she disguised herself as a prostitute and that's how she fulfilled that uh custom 
Yeah, notice how God uh, didn't say anything negative about that institution either. He didn't rebuke uh, Judah for going into a prostitute. I just found that uh, that's interesting, don't you think? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's all I have. All right. What? Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just I was just saying that's all I had. What's your next point? Okay. All right, and then the second passage that I used to prove absolutely that polygyny is not a sin, and that a few times God even forced men into it, mm-hmm. is Second uh, Samuel twelve verse eight. Mm-hmm. And this one's very interesting. This is when God uh, asked David, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is right right after David was caught and called out by the prophet Nathan for committing adultery with Bathsheba and causing her husband to be killed. Yep. Let's see, pulling it up right now. Two eight, you said? Yeah. No, no, twelve eight. Oh, Here, twelve eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll start at verse 7. It's the top of the paragraph that it's in. Nathan said to David, you are the man, thus says, you know, the man who, uh, he told him that little parable about the one man with his one precious sheep and the other man who stole it and killed it and all that. Uh Uh, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And here's verse 8. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, or some versions say into your bosom, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Or as much more. Right. Uh, and then he continues, you know, strongly rebuking him for his very terrible sin. But um, that phrase into your arms or into your bosom, that's a euphemism for... Yeah, it's a sexual, yeah. Yeah, the, the most intimate... About in, uh, intimate, intimate yeah. of uh, relations. Right. Uh, his master being Saul, you know, he was a servant of Saul and played the harp and lived at the palace. So Saul had those uh, spiritual attacks where he would... You know, he'd be depressed or go into a rage, and when David would play his harp, it would soothe him and drive the demon away. Yeah, which is actually, that's another really interesting thing. Sound or vibration affects demons. Isn't that interesting? Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of new agey to me. Yeah, it does, yeah. So basically, if uh, if anybody is still intellectually dishonest enough to say that no polygamy is a sin, or polygyny is a sin, then what they're saying is God forced David to sin. Right. And then he not o- he not only did that, but he told David, you know, this is the way they have to translate this verse. Uh, I gave you your, you know. 
your your adultery relationship, David. And if you want some more, just ask. I'll get you yeah. some more. You know, yeah. it's just insane. Yeah, yeah. That's, and I've had people react that way because they just they're just so triggered by this idea. They're just so mentally resistant to it mm-hmm. that uh, they won't let themselves admit that that's exactly what it's saying. That yep. religion is okay. And, uh, you know, here's another uh, illogical objection that's most often thrown out for the the men that that are at least honest enough to admit that, okay, polygyny was allowed back then. But, I mean, look at all the instances where the men had multiple wives in the Bible. Look at all the fighting between the children or the wives, you know? Uh Like, you know, there's... uh, Jacob and his four wives, there's David and, you know, and Solomon. It was right after Solomon that the kingdom split into the north and the south, right? The Judah and the Israel. Uh Uh Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can prove all those wrong. It's, It's not having multiple wives and children by them that causes fight. I mean, look at monogamous marriages. Yeah, those, they're way... Those have just they're, as much fighting and sibling rivalry. Yeah, if not more. Mm-hmm. But, uh, let's see. So, Abraham is the first one they point out. Uh, Abraham's sin was not having a second wife and having Ishmael by her. It was trying to force God's promise to be fulfilled by his right. own strength, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, God had already promised that the, that Abraham would have a son through Sarah, his wife. Right. That would be the one to, uh, you know, the it's promised heir. Chosen, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, If you now that was before the Torah was given. Yep. If you look at, um, you know, I forget the passage, but somewhere in the Torah it says that whoever the oldest son is, no matter if it's from your favorite wife or not, that's the one who gets the double portion. Yep. The eldest of, of the eldest sons, firstborn. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, yep. But uh, Abraham couldn't do that for Ishmael because Isaac was the one who was going to get that. Right. Uh, and then uh, Jacob. Yeah, when he bought the son. <clears throat> uh huh. Jacob yeah. was playing favorites. You know, mm-hmm. his son Joseph was the firstborn from his favorite wife Rachel, but uh, Reuben was the firstborn of all his sons. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he treated him more highly than the other ones and played favorites. And not that that gave him an excuse, but to uh, mistreat Jacob or uh, Joseph, but they did. They created rivalry. Mm-hmm. And then uh, David's family and, and the split that happened after Solomon 
that was because there was a curse on that entire family because of what David did to Uriah with Bathsheba. What was that? Uh, so the wording that God gave to David or, or one of the prophets gave to David was that the sword would never depart from your house. Is that does that sound familiar? Uh, yeah, here it is. It's in uh, verse 10 of that same chapter, Second Samuel 12. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so was, you see, they were cursed because of what David did. Yeah. And uh, let's see. There, We already discussed Solomon and how he, I believe, he's the only one who the Bible explicitly describes as having gone overboard with having too many wives. But uh, none of the others are condemned in any way for how many wives they had. And uh, I think the top three under Solomon would be Gideon. uh, And it doesn't say how many wives he had, but he had 30 sons. And uh, I believe... No, no, the number it gave was 30 sons and grandsons altogether. Mm-hmm. So you know he had to have at least <laughs> at least yeah. a, a good handful of wives. And mm-hmm. then there's another man named Ahijah or Ahijah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had 14 wives. And I believe the other person had 20, I want to say 28. Maybe not that many. Another very high amount. Yeah. And no condemnation whatsoever. Some of these men were described as being very rich and blessed by God. Uh, You know. Yep. So, it all falls apart. Yeah. So then you're left with this question. Okay, why has this been covered up for this many centuries and forced upon us, this idea that having more than one wife... You know, polygyny is a sin. And uh, you dig a little, and you're left to conclude that it's because this was a Greek or Roman custom that, uh, you know, the the early converts to uh, Christianity from those countries just were completely resistant to the idea of polygyny because they didn't like Jewish culture and their own culture you know, made them averse to the concept. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's so much that, because, I mean, the Greeks, the Greeks, in my opinion, were, uh, they were uh, Israelites themselves Hmm. that had uh, long since lost their identity. But, uh, um, I would just say that you know we're, we're under a Satan, Satan, Satanist system with Satanists ruling over us, and uh, obviously they're going to invert God's law. You know, mm-hmm. uh, because they're Satanists, and that's what they you follow. That's what they do if they're ruling over God's people. Um, 
I would also say as well, if you're going to, I mean, I would say that, well, that would be the secondary cause, but I also, I mean, the, we're talking first causes. I just think it's, it's God. Uh, right. I think that God, God's the ultimate cause behind this for a lot of reasons. Well, you know, one of which is the, to punish us, obviously, but also I think he's doing it maybe, well, maybe to benefit us as well, because I think that, uh, we're, we're, we've gotten so wicked and evil. We've gotten more wicked and evil at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's, you know, with more sin, there's more restriction in law. You know, it says the law was given because of sin. So when you get more sinful and you get more wicked, you know, the, the law becomes more restricted. And I think that that's, that's also what's happened. <laughs> I just think, man, it's too wicked and sinful today to, uh, I think that if, if you were to have polygamy in today's culture with men's hearts the way they are, and, well, females as well, I just everybody's just so screwed up. I mean, people can barely handle one wife today, you know? Right. It's just that I don't think it would work, you know? We have to be reformed first. What do you think? Would you agree? Or? Uh, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I think, well, I mean, look at the Mormons. It's not non-existent today. Yeah, but I'm talking about instituting it in a general sense. Like, you know, you're always going to have exceptions, but um, I think if you were to institute it in a general sense today, I think that generally men are, are more wicked I mean, that would follow by necessity if you're a devolutionist, you know. So I think that... uh, These crazy feminists are pretty evil. Oh, yeah. Well, I know. But, yeah. I mean, obviously it would have a lot of pragmatic... I'm not arguing that it wouldn't have pragmatic benefits or, you know, obviously it it would help a lot. You know, it would have a lot of practical benefits. Um... But I just don't think uh I don't know, I just think man is too wicked. Right. I, I think that I just think that's another reason why it's uh it was taken away, you know, it was because it was God. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why he took it away. But it will be restored when when man is you know, when we're reformed, he's gonna restore it when there's going to be an upswing in our nature again, you know, we're going to, instead of devolving, we're going to go the opposite direction. So, there's going to be an appropriate loosening of, of law, or, you know, in that respect, anyway. Now, when you say law, in the case of, we have more restrictive laws now, um, Obviously, that's not the yeah. Torah that we have now. It's right. We're under we're under evil we're under shepherds. Satan, we're under Satan's law. Yeah. Yep. Which which stems from what Roman law and Babylonian. I mean, I'd say it goes back to pagan. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's 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 something I find funny that people say is they're like. <laughs> 
you know, they, like, criticize the Bible. They're like, it has 613 laws? Like, how could we ever... They actually, you know, they, they think that that's burdensome or something. It's like, do you realize how many laws we're under today, just in America? Yeah. I mean, like, literally hundreds of thousands. I mean, there's laws that you don't even know. You can literally be criminalized. You're literally violating some law every single day, and you're not even aware of it. I mean, they could, if they wanted to, if they actually wanted to follow through on these laws that are on the books, that were never revoked or anything, you know, that are still in effect, I mean, they could. And they could criminalize basically everyone. (laughs) So, I mean, there's no comparison at all. And then you get into business and licenses. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, there's literally tens of thousands. Yeah. All right. Well, what else? So now I want to take a look at uh, the uh, funny question. Do you know uh, how to initiate the uh, a marriage? According to the Bible, as far as I'm aware, it's through sex. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure exact. I'm not sure exact. Well, I guess I'm not sure if that's how you initiate it, but I know if, if you do have sex with a woman, then you had to you had to marry her. Right. Well, uh, the research that be, I found. I guess that'd be one way to initiate it then. Right, that's what the... See, the thing is, the Torah placed a very high uh, value on a woman's virginity. Yeah. And, uh, like, very high. Well, she had if to I be understand virgin. it right, she had to be a virgin. Yeah. Except for a few... There's a few exceptions. Right, right. Like a widow or something, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So basically, you know, I don't have it pulled up. It's in either Deuteronomy or Leviticus. But uh, if a man slept with a virgin and thus, you know, broke her hymen, yep, then uh, that essentially counted as marriage. You know, yep. it, it was the sh- shedding of her blood. It's a blood covenant. Right. Right. But uh, if the father absolutely refused to give his daughter to that man as a wife, mm-hmm. then uh, the man had to simply pay the bride the price yeah, that the he would have paid anyway, and, yep. but not get her as a wife. Right, right. And this, this is in line with the Numbers chapter 30 law of uh, of vows and commitments or, or promises. Mm-hmm. Basically, it says that if a a young girl, unmarried and living with her father, made a vow, then she had to keep it unless her father heard about it and then opposed or canceled that vow in the same day that he heard about it. And then once a woman was married, then her husband had that vetoing power over any any promise or vow that she made. Um, now, again, if the 
if her husband didn't hear about it, then she had to keep her word. Right. Um, but, you know, if if he was opposed to it, you know, she had yeah. to, you know, he canceled it, and that was, his word was law. Yep. Uh, the only time a woman would, would uh, you know, stand on her own word like that and not have any excuse to uh, break a promise would be if she was a widow or divorced. Right. So, you know, in a few cases, a woman might be not no longer a virgin when she married and not have sinned. Yeah. yeah. Or at least not, not be uh, deserving of the death penalty if right. her father canceled such a marriage out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you want to talk about the uh, the marriage clause? That they had? Yeah, well, honestly, I think there's. That may be a partially lost tradition that we don't completely understand. But yeah, um, if a man took a wife and. uh, and uh, later found no evidence of her virginity, then uh, he was. he was to take it before the. what to the father first? The woman's, the bride's father. Uh, I not remember. Possibly. Yeah, either that or or the town elders. The elders, yeah. But anyway, if it, it if it was found out that this girl was illegitimately a non-virgin when she married, like not just not just through the previous uh, situation where she was the marriage was canceled out by her father, but, like, had been illegitimately sleeping around. Right, right. You know, basically, if the man was promised a virgin and it turns out that the girl was not a virgin, yeah, then uh, the girl got the death penalty very harshly. She was taken to the door of her father's house and stoned to death. Yeah, I mean, they basically had a, you know, a marriage clause. I guess they part of their tradition was to consummate the marriage on this, you know, some kind of sheet or cloth. That was supposed to be the, the proof for, uh, you know, the, the female's virginity. You know? So. I mean, that's how important it was. You know? Yeah, that, that I mean, it makes something really awkward. Yeah. But, I mean, it makes total sense, too. I was even talking to my coworker at work about this today. Um, I mean, it makes total sense for there not to be equality in sexual laws between men and women because, frankly, there's not that one-to-one ratio. I mean, women have a womb. The stakes are way higher with a woman, okay? A woman can get pregnant and bear children, so the, the stakes are way higher with a woman, you know? Especially if she's like, she gets pregnant by your enemies, you know, and then has, I mean, it just creates way more problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, it makes, it makes total sense. It's about preserving a, uh, a the nation. Yeah. Yeah. The nation. Yeah. Which is based on a, you know, a bloodline, a race. 
So, uh, you got anything on the intermarriage you want to talk about? Uh, not just yet. Let me, okay. let me cover a few more triggering issues with polygyny and the virginity concept and all that. Okay. All right. So, if you look at Leviticus chapter 18, the list of sexual taboos, you will see that uh, there is a curious... It seems to miss a certain combination uh, for oh, union yeah. <laughs> when you get down to uh, the part about homosexuality and bestiality. These are the three, the three unions that are forbidden: man with a man, man yep. with an animal, and woman with an animal. Right now, tell me, Chris, which combination is uh, did God forget to put in there? A woman with a woman. Exactly. And uh, this one makes people flip out, church people, <laughs> because they'll they'll say, well, no, obviously, obviously the man with a man that just means, that, you know, that parallels for women. God didn't have to say it, but if you look at the original Hebrew, it's not just saying man to man, with the def with the definition of man being mankind or person, you know, gender neutral. It right. literally says male shall not lie with a male. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably Zakar then, in the Hebrew. Uh-huh. Yeah, Zakar. Yeah. yeah. It's as yep. specific as it can be. If God wanted to forbid female-on-female uh, sexual contact, that's where he would have put it. Yeah. I mean, again, this, this, this makes total sense. If you actually think about this within a polygamous, agrarian culture, it would make total sense why this provision would be there. Now, why it would be allowed? Because mm-hmm. if you only have one man over this huge household, basically like this plantation, you know, and if he if he has to leave for war, or, I mean, there's going to be a lot of time. I mean, basically, it's pretty much impossible for him to like satisfy his wife sexually, you know, all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's well, just way. yeah, but like on a long business trip or a journey, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I suppose it's up to the husband in line with that Numbers 30 concept of, you know, him him vetoing or getting to say exactly, you know, the specifics of what he's comfortable with his wife doing. But sure. um, this, yeah, this would mean that not only can the women have sexual contact with each other, you know, in the case where their husband's not around. Yep. And that's and that's a very big benefit in avoiding adultery. Avoiding that temptation. Um but uh that means that the man could have a threesome with his uh, I, that's two, what I was just thinking. I was, that's what I was just thinking. I was just yeah. gonna say, well that doesn't prevent sexual contact when he's there having sex with one of them either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean yeah, so if you had two wives, and and another reason that that's allowed is, you remember what Paul said, don't the uh, don't what is it the word defraud? Well, it, the husband and the wife have authority over the other's body, sexually. Yeah. And he said, don't uh, deny your spouse sex if they ask for it. So what yeah. if both of your what if both of your girls 
need some attention and they come to you at the same time, what are you going to do? Yeah. You either got to say no and uh, disobey Paul to one of them or you can have a threesome, you know? Yep, yep. Now, I don't know if it's, I don't know if female on female sexual contact should be absolutely allowed. I, uh, I mean, for unmarried women, uh, let's see, what's the verse? Romans 1, 26 and 27, where it talks about God gave, uh, gave homosexuals over to a depraved mind. Yeah. Uh, and it mentions the women doing the same thing there. Some people have interpreted that to mean that, and it says they give up the natural function for what is not natural. Some people interpret that to mean that uh, when it talks about the women, the natural function is childbearing because Eve was not given to Adam simply as a sex toy, but as a helper to be fruitful and multiply. Right, right. So uh, people interpret the natural function to be childbearing. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that the Bible condemns lesbianism, but it doesn't condemn bisexuality among females. Right. To be more yeah, specific. The, de- the, the depravedness that people think uh, female lesbian couples have is not that they are attracted to another female, it's that they're it's resisting a, family. They're being you yeah. Know, they're they're not doing the natural. They're not doing the natural duty of a woman. Right. Yep. You know, man hating, child hating. Yep. You know, child free, psycho feminists. Yeah. But uh, now, see, I don't know. I was trying to figure out how it would all work, and I was thinking, okay, so surely, though, even if uh, female sexual contact is okay, then uh, the girls would definitely want to avoid uh, breaking, you know, if one of them was a virgin, Mm -hmm. they would still want to avoid breaking her hymen. So, you know, I don't know. You know, no. Uh, what do you mean if one of them was a? What do you mean married. if one of them was a virgin? Are you talking about in a married relationship? Yeah, or like, okay, so what if two girls who had attraction for each other were trying to find a husband, but uh, you know they lived together until then, and you know one or both I think, was a virgin. I think that, well, I think that was part of the. I think we can deduce from the marriage cloth that that was part of the. Uh, ceremony of marriage, you know that you had to you had to consummate your the marriage with your wife, you know, mm-hmm. in order to consummate the marriage. So I don't think I you know. could have a situation. I mean, I I don't know how you'd have a situation where you'd have where you'd have that scenario, unless you want to elaborate more on the <laughs> yeah, um, but like. Uh... I'm saying in the case of two girls who are friends, and, uh-huh. uh, you know, I, I don't know. This is all hypothetical. I have no example of this happening, but I guess it's sure. possible. I'm just brainstorming. 
Um, they, what if they were such good friends that they didn't want to split up, but uh, they decided to stay together and find a single husband that they both could be attracted to. But in the meantime, since female-on-female sexual contact is allowed, you know, what if they helped each other stay chaste that way? They would uh, want to avoid damaging their virginity. Is that too far out? Uh, I didn't quite follow. They would, you know, they would, whatever sexual contact they have, had they would uh, want to avoid breaking their hymen. So this is an alternate theory of what uh, what Romans one twenty six through twenty seven meant. Some people think that it's simply uh, female on female penetration with an object. It's all getting very graphic, I know, but. <laughs> I wanted to bring up all the uh, possible theories. So I, I I got lost when you were saying. So why would they have to do that in order to? Why why couldn't they get married? I that's where you lost me. Just I'm giving you the hypothetical situation of what if they wanted to stay together because they were such good friends, and so yeah. they were looking for a single husband that they who could marry both of them. So they could uh-huh. stay together and be a family, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's all. Oh. So yeah. before that so before that, in order to I guess what uh remain changed. Yeah, to a, to avoid you know, okay. it takes a long okay. time. Okay, so I see I see what you're saying, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that would, I I don't see why not. That would make sense yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean Yeah, I mean that. I don't see why not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Seem like that wouldn't conflict with the yeah that that the New Testament condemnation because it's referring to you know, women who have um, consciously disregarded the role of a woman and you know consciously uh, rebelled against the natural role of a woman. You know, I mean. So that wouldn't be the case with with uh, the scenario you brought up. Right. Uh-huh. Just a hypothetical uh, question to wonder about. Mm-hmm. All right. We can uh, transition to... What, what was it you were going to... Well, I'm curious on your thought of what your thoughts are on intermarriage. So, what do you think the Bible says about, well, I guess, intermarriage? Do you think the Israelites could intermarry? Period. Uh, no, not period. Definitely, there were some nations that they were completely forbidden from mixing with, like the Canaanites. Well, sure. And, uh, and I believe, well, the Egyptians, the Edomites, and the Ammonites weren't completely restricted, but uh, any any intermarriage between them, it would be to the third and fourth generations before those those uh, descendants would be considered completely Israelite. Yeah, do you remember that past where that's at? I was trying to look that up earlier today. I could not find that because I, I I did re- I recalled that passage as well. Uh, do a search for the phrase tenth generation. 
tenth generation? Mm-hmm. Or third or fourth? Well, either one. Okay. A third. What's coming up is the the verse where he punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. <laughs> yeah, I see a bunch of, bunch of those too. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try tenth generation. Well, I know there's the passage about the. Oh, I got it. Oh, you, you found it's, it. It's uh, Deuteronomy 23. 23 what? Uh, like the first part of the chapter. Yeah, starting at verse 2. Okay. I'm, I'm physically looking forward in my Bible. Oh, wow. Ammonites and Moabites were restricted down to the 10th generation, not the 3rd and 4th. Yeah, and I was I was convinced that that was a euphemism, meaning basically forever. Right. From, from what I've researched on that, you said yeah, uh, it's likely that they wouldn't endure being second-class citizens for that many generations just to get into Israel. But I mean, I guess it's possible. You said, did you say twenty-three? You're drawing me twenty-three. Yeah, chapter twenty-three. Okay. Uh, okay, so it says, yeah, a bastard, which is you know the Hebrew mamzer, which if you look into it, does mean a, uh, you know, a Hebrew marrying a non-Hebrew. I thought it so meant I, uh, somebody of, of a forbidden union, or maybe both. Yeah, which was a Hebrew, which was a Hebrew with a non-Hebrew, a mongrel. Right, or also somebody who was born out of a incestual or otherwise forbidden union. Uh, I, believe, I believe it has the double meaning. Could, could. From what I've researched, I think it meant, uh, yeah. I thought it more had to do with the uh, actual race, but... Um, I'm pretty sure it's both. Yeah, it could be both. So a bastard shall not enter into the convocation of Yahweh or the assembly, even to the tenth generation shall none of his enter into the assembly of Yahweh. Neither an Ammonite nor a Moabite shall enter into the assembly of Yahweh, even to the tenth generation. Shall none that belong to them enter into the convocation of Yahweh unto times age abiding. So where does it talk about Egyptians and and them being allowed? Oh, uh, go down, down here. to verse okay. 7. Yeah, I see. Thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, for thy brother he is. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian. For a sojourner became as thou in, the, in his land. The sons who are born to them of the third generation may ent- enter unto them in the convocation of Yahweh. Okay. So, this is now this is what I was thinking about earlier today. So, there is a provision in the Mosaic Law we see here for quote-unquote foreigners becoming Israelites. You know, and there's also another verse, I believe it's, 
Oh, let me look here. Uh, Exodus 12:48, where it talks about a foreigner being being able to become an Israelite by way of circumcision, mm-hmm. and then later on through intermarriage, they couldn't they couldn't do it at first through intermarriage because that was forbidden. But uh, the problem I have with all this is. How 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 is a foreigner defined? Does a foreigner mean a a non-Hebrew or a non-Adamite? Because Edomite, we and Edomite, Edomites were Adamites, and even Egyptians were. That's what I mean. Yeah, I thought Egyptians were too, because <laughs> they were from uh, Mitzrayim, right? Mm-hmm. Son of he was an Adamite. Not a. Not a he wasn't a, he wasn't a Hebrew, was he? But he was an Adamite. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, so I mean it would it would have been the same same quote unquote race, I guess in a broader sense. Um but yeah, that's the thing. I really can't find anywhere in the Bible where it allows for mixed race uh intermarriage. Can you? Well, you're gonna you're gonna have to mention the pre-Adamites concept of ours now, because people are gonna say, "Well, isn't everybody an Adamite?" <laughs> well, I mean, that's an assumption that Christians have today, but I mean, there's no, they have no basis for believing that in the Bible, you know, outside of their already assumed interpretation of how that all goes. It's just one big begging the question, arguing in a circle. Fallacy. Mm-hmm. They're already presupposing that that's that interpretation, and then reading that into the into the text, it's not something you can draw out of the text. Okay, that all the races came from Adam. I mean, what does it say in Genesis four? Let's see. Uh. <laughs> Maybe it's Genesis 3, where it's, this is the book of the the generations of Adam. Mm-hmm. Where's that at? Oh, so it's, it's uh, Genesis 5.1. This is the record, or this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man, or Adam. Yeah. So, I mean, it defines for you right there. I mean, it tells you what the Bible is. It's the book of the record of the generations or the progeny of Adam, Adam's race, you know, the Adamic race. Um, and basically all these verses that you'll find later that people use to try to defend the concept that, or the idea that all races came from Adam. Like there's one in the New Testament where it says, you know, from from one... All all the nations came. You familiar with that verse? From one blood or whatever? Yeah. Um, I've researched that, and apparently blood, it never said from one blood in the actual original language, like blood was a, something that was added. It just said from one came all, all the nations, and it was it was referring to 
Deuteronomy 32.8, you know, when it, when, it was, when it was talking about how the sons of man or Adam were divided according to the number of the sons of God. Hmm. It's talking about the Adamic nations. Yeah, all the Adamic nations came from one, Adam. That's what it's referring to in context. You see that? Oh, interesting. It's not talking about all races coming from one person. You see? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, if you actually investigate these things in context, yeah, you can't... There is no basis for this. You know, and... If this is the case, if we assume, you know, that this is the case, and we deduce from this, then, then uh, you know, reality should conform and be consistent with it, and that's exactly what we see. If if you've done any research into this this matter, which Ross and I both have, um, uh-huh. you can go back thousands of the oldest record, the oldest uh, pictorial depictions we have of of the races. There is no discernible change or difference in any of the you know the racial types whether it be negroid or asiatic or they have the exact same distinguishing features that we see them that they have today you know same characteristics i mean i mean basically what and and they there's also no evidence that climate has anything to do with uh determining these racial characteristics either. There's no direct correlation at all. There's no evidence of any causal link there or connection. So, um, yeah, so essentially with that evidence that... uh, I mean, we'll we'll probably do a call on this later in more detail than actually, you know, get into the evidence and stuff, but I know. I'm just gonna yeah, make yeah. one point. W- with the evidence you have that the uh, races have always looked the way they look now, and very different from each other, if you still believe that the the black race, you know, African and Australoid uh, native peoples, came from Ham, and you know the Asiatic and uh, Middle Eastern peoples came from Shem, and the Japhethite, you know, the white peoples came from uh, Japheth. It's essentially, yeah. I mean, it's a belief that's essentially evolution to believe that those widely different uh, brothers looked like that, but were all born from the same man. Yeah, it's flat out Darwinism. I mean, hands, yeah, exactly. hands down. You're, you literally have to appeal to Darwinism in order to, because I've even heard this too, I've even read this, that some of the races, like, there's more differences between them, genetic and physiological and skeletal, and there's more differences between them than, like, than than some animals have with with people. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, there, uh, yeah, there's just no way. There's just no way it's possible. And... I mean, the fact that we have is thousands of basically the oldest records we have, and all the you know pictorial depictions we have, whether it be sculptures or carvings or you know the Egyptian 
wall art and such. Even like the Olmec heads here in uh, what were those in South America? Uh, Central America. Guatemala. Central America, right, right. Yeah, the Olmec heads. Those are obvious. I mean, those have obvious Negroid features, okay, and mm-hmm. the same features we see observe today. You know, the characterized Negroids. You know, the prognosticism of the, you know, the nose and the face and the lips, the thick lips. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I who knows how old those are, but I I'm pretty confident to say that they're probably at least a thousand years old, if not older. You know, so even that, I mean. Yeah, the Olmec people are said to have been existent before the Aztecs became yeah. an empire. Yeah. So very, very old. Yeah. So you, you, even if you, if you, even if you would entertain like a, a climate argument and such, I mean, has climate changed? Any have they changed by way of adaptation at any level since since those depictions? No, I mean black people no. still look like <laughs> black people here in North America. Yeah, and it do, and it doesn't matter Canada. what climate they're in, does it? Because now they're all over the world, and we still see no change. You see that? Yeah. So the whole thing collapses. So, uh, yeah. We'll go. We'll go more into that in a future show, I guess. But uh, basically, the the races we believe exist are the Adamite white race, the black race. You know, well, say uh, the, Caucasoid, the Caucasoid race, because he—I yeah. don't believe that Adam was necessarily white. I think he was, as the Bible describes him, he was ruddy. He was red. Well, right. He was reddish. You know, he had a reddish hue. Right. Uh, you know, uh, rosy, rosy cheeked. You know, he showed blood in the face. He was ruddy. You know, he had a reddish complexion. But he was a Caucasoid. It was the guy. He was the first Caucasoid for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, go on. Sorry. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he has Egyptian uh, descendants and some Middle Eastern and Arab descendants, as yeah. well as the European and Caucasian and Finno-Ugric peoples. Yep. Um, yeah. Possibly some Native American. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. and then there's also mixed descendants because. Yeah, you know, not everybody has avoided mixing with other races throughout history. So yeah, there are some mixed descendants. But yep, yep. Uh, then you have the black race, which uh, includes at least the African people. Yep. Uh, it may include also the Australoid black peoples because mm-hmm. Native Australians are very black yep. in color, um, and various peoples scattered throughout the Indian Ocean coast yep. areas and the islands. Uh-huh. And then you've got uh, what? Uh, the mongoloid. Yeah, or the brown race, if you want to call it by color. And that would include pretty much everyone else. Uh, yep. The Oriental, Oceanic, and Native American races. Yep. As well as some of the Dravidian, South Indian races. Mm-hmm. So basically what we believe is that, uh, and this is going to sound really bad, but... Uh, I mean, it's just unfortunately it's all it's all we can deduce from from the Bible of uh 
where these races originated. I mean, you either have to invoke some sort of pre-Adamite that they were created maybe in some pre-Adamite age and basically invoke some sort of gap theory, which we've already, you know, established in past calls we don't believe in. We believe there was a pre-Adamite age, but it's there was no continuity between that age and the creation cycle we're in now, you know, starting with Genesis 1. So there, there, there was no not only re- remembrance, but there was no carryover of anything from that previous age into into this current creation cycle. That it was in actually a totally different realm. Is what we believe. Um, so Genesis one was the beginning of this creation that we inhabit. You know, the Adamic creation. And so that really only leaves one other option for the origin of the races. And that's that they were a part of the beasts, quote-unquote, beasts of the field that were created on day six. And I think that's one of the reasons why they uh, basically transliterated whatever those that the original phrase meant as that, because it obviously has a, it's loaded with this negative connotation, you know, um, and we obviously see, since it applied to the Nakash, you know, the, the serpentine being who interacted with Eve and Adam, or with Eve, uh, you know, it, it, beast of the field obviously cannot mean what modern-day Christians think it means exclusively. It can't, it can't just mean, like, cows and four, four-legged, you know, creatures. I mean, it, it obviously has a much broader meaning than, you know, it can allow for much more interpretation and much more uh, leeway in terms of what it means just from that, you know, since uh, the Nakash, you know, the, the Nakash race was a part of the beast of the field, and he was, he was clearly a uh, humanoid, intelligent, Actually, beautiful creature. So, and also, there's another there's another verse we can actually use to deduce that that beasts of the field included humanoid humanoids because God brought the beasts of the field to Adam uh, for him to choose a companion from among them. I don't think he was just bringing him like. He wasn't bringing him creatures that would have been incompatible, because then that that verse is just it makes no sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that would make there had to be some kind of uh, compatibility there that presupposes it. Would you agree with everything I just said? Or uh, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And then uh, a little other piece of evidence that uh, there were other peoples besides Adam and Eve at the yeah. time when they were on the earth is uh, when Seth left and went eastward towards Nod. Who did he marry? Cain. Uh, yeah, yeah, Cain. That's right. Yeah. Right. I mean, some people say it was one of his sisters that he took with him, but uh, I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, well, you don't even have to you don't even have to invoke who did he marry because there are you know Jewish traditions that people can which I actually believe I think that he did uh, marry his twin sister, but we don't even have to invoke that because you still have a problem. How did he build a city and who did he build a city for? You still have the same problem. Oh yeah. You see that? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's building a city for just him and his wife. Just by himself, that makes no sense. You see that? So, it's still you're still you still have the same problem either way. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So another reason why I want to talk about intermarriage is because I think we've been and I've discussed this with Ross before. I think we've been psyoped big time on this concept of incest and what basically uh we've had incest defined for us not from the bible but from culture creators the people who have created our culture you know this this cult that we live in today cult of society yeah this weaponized language that they've given us with these these trigger words like incest um, the reason I say this is because I, I've, and I've discussed this with, with Ross. I've noticed that uh, there was no prohibition in, uh, to marry. Hold on, I was plugging in my phone. Uh, to marry cousins. Right. Even first cousins. Yeah. That, that's uh, Those were on the table. Not off limits. Yep, and I've always uh, I've thought about this before, and it makes it makes sense to me. Um, you know, I mean, we're told that if, if you, in order to have strong offspring, you need to you need. To, we've been told that diversity creates stronger offspring, right? Like, if you want stronger children, then you need to find a mate or you need to you need to have you need to have children with somebody who's like as different from you as possible you know isn't this what we've been told right isn't that right yeah yeah and i just just this never this just never made sense to me you know and uh so i have this book it's by uh, Arnold Errett. It's called The Mucusless Diet Healing System. This guy was around, I believe, I think in the 1800s. Might have been 1900s, though, but it's an old book. And uh, 1900s, okay. But, yeah. Um, I just want to read this section out of here which is it's relevant to this subject. It says, uh, it's, it's called Eugenics of a Diseaseless Superior Race. That's the title of this section. So it says, using a plant as a comparison, quote, motherhood can be said to respect the quality of the soul. Fatherhood represents the quality of the seed, of the germ, 
a relatively poor, almost barren soil, but a good quality of seed produces a fairly good plant. But a defective seed, even though planted in the best soil, nothing. Breeders of animals, especially horse breeders, know that the quality of a thoroughbred father goes through endless generations, even spanning over a chin of, quote, indifferent mothers. This is why inheritance of good and bad qualities, tuberculosis, for instance, skips a whole generation. As in every respect of life, this problem is different also, and of course, is different in the case of a clean body on a natural diet. Medical doctors and naturopaths alike will hardly believe at all in the new principles and arguments which I have brought out and postulated in this work. They reason and figure with the facts and experiences of the filthy body living on the unnatural diet of civilization. You cannot reason about colors with a man born blind. You cannot use the old arguments and the old physiology to gainsay my statements. Until you have personally experienced on your own body the truth of my teachings, you will have to accept and believe the new ones. Okay, so I'm going to skip a line here because it's kind of irrelevant. But he says, uh, During a period covering some decades, and even partly today, the science of eugenics believed in the necessity of outside breeding. They consider outside breeding an absolute necessity for animals and the human race based on the bad results which accrued from the inbreeding of humans. It is nothing less than the problem of the future of the American nation, mixing races or inbreeding. The Jewish race is the answer, the only example in existence that inbreeding is natural and perfect. Marriage of close relationship fails simply because we have degenerated too far in comparison with the people of their ancestor Abraham. Outside breeding is a, quote, stimulation with an apparently good result, lasting only for one or two generations, and then, in general, the family dies out. The European royal family kept their genealogical tree clean, scouring good results only as long as they did not live in modern luxury. The families of noblemen are rapidly disappearing because they fail to continue the generation of males. The, luxur the luxurious diet of today, instead of the old-fashioned simplicity of centuries ago, is to blame. Former generations lived as farmers, a more natural life. Today they are the typical, quote, high livers, end quote, in modern Sodoms. No wonder an expiring degeneration is the result. Okay. So, parallels Western crisis research a little bit there. Uh -huh. So I'm trying to see if there's a... What was that said about uh, the male thoroughbred father leaving his good genes to, like, many generations of... Uh, it said... That uh, breeders of animals, especially horse breeders, know that the quality of a thoroughbred father goes through endless generations, even spanning over a chin of indifferent mothers. This is why inheritance of good and bad qualities, tuberculosis, for instance, skips a whole generation. Huh. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. So, what's a, what's a thoroughbred horse? Isn't that when it's, uh, Bred like within the family. No, thoroughbred is a a variety of horse. Oh, a breed. 
I guess. Okay. So big chunky ones that you see up there with the big hooves. Huh? They're workhorses, I believe. Yeah, but uh, I mean, you look at uh, those requirements in the Torah that uh, you had to wait a certain amount of generations for these people to be considered full Israelites, or uh, they had to wait a certain amount of generations if the person was born from a uh, a forbidden union yeah. before those people could enter into the temple. Mm-hmm. The the genes really do matter. And hey, what it was back when they came back from. Uh, hold on, in, hold, in the on. Bo- hold on, hold okay. on. I just, <laughs> I sorry. just googled, I just googled it. It says although the word thoroughbred is sometimes used to refer to any breed of purebred horse. Oh. So I think that's okay. that's the meaning he was using here. Okay. Yeah. Different. So yeah, he was referring to a, you know, a, a horse that obviously had not interbred with any other species. You see that. Mm-hmm. And he said that even when they breed, you know, a thoroughbred with a, you know, a few indifferent, meaning, I guess, bad quality or, or intermingled mothers, it's still, basically, the thoroughbred's genetics, I guess, are still so good that uh, good and bad qualities can skip, you know, a whole generation just from the, the father. Being a purebred. Yeah. Um, you know, I've tried to point this out before to uh, a friend of my uh, father's who was very resistant to the idea of polygyny. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wouldn't even let me finish my sentence. He uh, <laughs> He was triggered so hard. Uh, I I pointed out that uh, first cousin marriage was nowhere forbidden in the Bible. And he's like, well, I mean, you're splitting hairs, dude. Uh, It's basically, basically is. I mean, look at all the other ones that are close to it. And I'm just thinking, yeah, okay. So is, is an aunt a first cousin? No. Is a mother (laughs) a first cousin? No. Is a sister a first cousin? No. Then it's not splitting hairs. You know, these are different. Association Um, fallacy. Yeah. Yeah. And I stumbled upon an interesting uh, piece of research when I was researching cousin marriages. Uh Apparently, up until modern times, uh, a good 80% of all marriages through history are believed to have been between uh, first, second, or third cousins. (laughs) Well, there you go. Well, you you would just confirm what I what I was just thinking. I mean, that would confirm that for one, all ancient cultures had this historical tradition that they were operating operating off of. You know, which would have been inherited from obviously an original pristine source. That's why they preserved it. Mm-hmm. And for two, it would it would also confirm that it had to have been superior. That would follow by necessity because we know the ancients were superior in every way. Physically, you know, I mean, they didn't have any of the diseases. Yeah. That that probably was a part of the reason why. Yeah. 
so yeah, that will that does create stronger and better genetics. You know, it's it's not it's not spreading your seed with the, the it's 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 not more diversity doesn't create better offspring. That's complete opposite of the truth. Like we've been psyop big time on that. Marrying within your your tribe or your you know your your racial kindred that's what makes strong offspring. The more you deviate from that, you know, the worse it's going to be. You know, I uh, I've done some uh, genealogy family tree research on my own bloodline. Uh-huh. And uh, as I get back, not even very long ago, not even to ancient times, but just back to the 1800s, I have found several instances of first cousin marriages. <laughs> and uh, one, the latest one, was closer to modern times. And uh, the girl's mother was very resistant to the idea. They were strong Mexican Catholics. And... Uh, because the daughter and her cousin, husband, were, I guess they still believed that what they were doing was a sin because they chose never to have children of their own. And it just, it was very sad. These, uh, we don't bring these issues up and show you the true definition to be creepy. Uh, you know, it really does have effects on people. Yeah. It hurts families, you know? Yeah. So did you have anything else on sex you wanted to talk about? Uh, yeah, I'm waiting for this link to come up. Um, okay. Because, I mean, I, I can talk about my theory if you want right now. Yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so this is another question I've kind of posed to Ross and have been wondering about as of late. Uh, whether the institution of prostitution was prohibited? in the Mosaic Law or in the Bible? Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Ross? My understanding, and I may be wrong, is that uh, simple money for sex prostitution was allowed for uh-huh. women who were widows or divorced. Yep. You know, um, you know, a virgin woman couldn't do that and a father couldn't sell his virgin daughter into prostitution. But if an older sure. woman divorced or widowed needed the money, that was a Yeah, it was a provision. It was a yeah, it was a provision for yeah, like widows and right. Mm-hmm. But uh but and, and I may be wrong, but cult prostitution uh, I thought was not allowed at all. Hmm. Now see I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate and make a case that I would agree with you that it became prohibited later on. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to make a case, or I'm going to present the case that perhaps it might have been permissible at one point, early on, earlier on, and only a a very specific type. Because, you know, obviously if you're you're getting into cult prostitution, you're dealing with some sort of deity that's involved. And so it was dependent on which deity. Um, 
And so this gets into basically this entity that's mentioned in the Bible named Asherah. Um, and there's a lot of debate about whether this Asherah actually referred to an actual goddess or was it just some kind of cult object, but that just kind of gets into semantics with me because even if it is you're just referring to a cult object, well, a cult object is, was the purpose of it was to honor some kind of goddess or god, you know, deity. So, I mean, it was a representative of some sort of god or goddess, you know. So, I do believe that Asherah was a real being, a real goddess uh, in the Bible. And I think there's evidence that uh, worship of her was perhaps not encouraged, but it was, uh, at the very least, overlooked or it was permissible. It was kind of winked at by Yahweh earlier on in the uh, monarchical period and before that. And you'll, if you research this, you will find that there is evidence for that. For instance, uh, in the in the case of Elijah, with with the when he called down fire, you know, with the the, the prophets of Baal, and there were also uh, priests or prophets of Asherah um, there as well. And if you notice what happened, if you read that carefully. Uh, only the prophets of Baal were put to death for that. The, the priests or the prophets of Asherah were left alive. Huh. Interesting. You're familiar with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that this is absolutely the case or making any kind of you know absolute claim and affirmation of this, but I think that a case can be made. And there is evidence for it and indications of it that uh, um, this this goddess, this Asherah figure, was her, her worship was uh, allowed at one time, and over time it became prohibited. And I, it's the same reason that I think that I was expanding expounding upon earlier. You know, uh, over over time the nature of man changes; it doesn't remain static. And according to devolution, it, it gets worse. You know, man becomes more more wicked, more degenerate, more evil over time. Yeah. And so this is the reason why I think that uh, basically her her uh, worship was prohibited later on because uh, the worship of her turned into and became more and more degenerate in terms of they were making these ashram these these cult objects which represented her, and they were performing these extremely light, licentious acts under you know the groves and the the sacred trees, which represented Asherah. Basically, they were very uh, profane sexual acts, from what I've researched. Um, and actually, I actually have a note here in uh, my Rotherham. My Rotherham's Emphasized Bible, I just want to read it 
kind of uh, talks about this a little bit. Yeah. It says a special note on the destruction of the Canaanite nations. So it says, in reviewing the destruction of the nations of Canaan, it is most important to bear in mind the terrible nature of the crimes for which they were exterminated. Their very worship was grossly sensual and revoltingly cruel. In honor of their deities, women surrendered their virtue. Their sacred places were brothels. The generative organs were openly represented by disgusting symbols. The peoples had holy prostitutes, male and female, Kedoshim and Kedoshoth. So, basically, this was a universal practice, or a, a shared practice in the ancient Near East. This, this whole area, they all had a sacred or temple prostitutes, cult prostitutes. Basically arranged around some sort of fertility goddess, you know whether it, whether her name I just I, th- I think it was the same goddess they just referred to her by different names, uh, you know Ishtar, Inanna, Astarte, um, Asherah. It's all the same, it's all the same goddess, which I think is a, was actually a real being. I think she's also referred to in. Jeremiah, where she was referred to as the Queen of Heaven. And we've kind of alluded to her in previous calls, but I believe she's the same entity. She's actually a a heavenly being, an Elohim. And she's the same entity as this Persephone figure. And she incarnated, one of her mortal incarnations on Earth was uh, Lilith. And that's why she's represented by the the tree, or with the tree symbolism. Because A, she was in the Garden of Eden as Lilith, and B, um, I think that uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, remember I was talking about how trees represented people and have represented people in the Bible? Yeah. Well, I think that... uh, Actually, the tree, both the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, represented beings in the Garden of Eden. Hmm. I think that the tree of life represented basically a sacred quaternity. You know, the father, mother, and then the son and the daughter. Mm-hmm. So obviously, if you eat of that tree, you know it's the tree of life because that's the true quote-unquote Godhead, if you will. Um, which is a, I know that's an artificial term, but I just used it just to communicate. You know. <laughs> I know. But uh, I didn't know how else to say that, describe that. But and I also think uh, there's a lot of esoteric uh, symbolism, kind of uh, encoding this quaternity as well. The four, and I actually think it's encoded into the Tetragrammaton. I think that's why it has uh, four letters. Hmm actually represents four. <laughs> There's four beings kind of within it that make up kind of one composite being. Um, and uh, I also think it's the esoteric meaning behind the 1111 phenomena that a lot of people observe or see. You know, are you familiar with that stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I think that represents four, you know, a quaternity of four beings kind of this sacred quaternity. I think it can it can either represent the father, mother, and then the son and daughter, or it can represent 
basically the Davidic king and the queen and then the Antichrist and his consort. I see. But I think, you know, either, either way, it's, it's the quaternity. It's, it's mimicked, you know, it's going to be mimicked on the dark side. But, uh... Okay, so I think that the tree of knowledge of good and evil represented a, a pair of beings. And I think it represented uh, Lilith and her consort, who was uh, Satan. And then uh, that's why it was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because uh, it's basically what Lilith and Satan or Hades and Persephone whatever, that's basically what they represent, you know. Uh, they're a very special pair that God has used throughout history to basically communicate his attributes, you know, light and dark, good and evil, this kind of duality yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, because they represent both sides of that, yet they're they're mixed, you know, they're, they're a pair. And they also symbolize that with the, uh, the Baphomet symbol, which is the same thing. It's Hades and Persephone uh, mixed into one being. That's what they're portraying there. That's why it has the the male and female attributes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I, that's what I think about that. So. Um, so I think that uh, Israel, you know, was no different from its cultural neighbors in this respect. And I think that at one point, and I think you, you, you can kind of infer this from the scripture in actual places like the uh, account of Judah and Tamar, because actually the word used to describe Tamar is the same word that was used in other places to translate, you know, as a, as a cult prostitute. Kedoshim, Kedosha. Yeah. And, uh, Again, notice how God, it says nothing of how God rebuked or um, said anything negative of that institution or that establishment. Obviously, it was it was something that was recognized. It was something that was established because Judah, you know, specifically asked for that. You know what I mean? He sought it mm-hmm. out, you know, like it was something that was established and it was a part of the... It was a part of that society, an established part, something that was known. Yeah. yeah. But 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 uh, at the time when the Torah was given, it was then disallowed. I'm pretty sure. Uh, that's Deuteronomy 23:17-18. Yeah, but again, that begs the question of: Is that disallowing it in an absolute sense, including the Asherah worship, or did the, or is that including, or is that just including all the gods that were forbidden at that time? See what I mean? Yeah. See, because that, again, that 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 gets into the problem of a lot of these statements in the Bible where it seems like it's making absolute statements, but it's actually not. It's just referring to a whole class or category in a specific context. You know, like for instance, when you know when Christ said, "Go, go preach to all the all the world." Who's apostles? He obviously didn't mean the entire world. He just meant the uh, the parts of the world where the lost sheep of the house of Israel was. 
yeah. which was mainly, you know, the the, the Roman, yeah, where the where the Roman Empire was basically at that time. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, so that kind of begs that question. We're not really sure, you know, what that exactly referred to. I mean, again, if my theory would be true, then that obviously the Asherah worship would be an exception to that, and that. But it did eventually get prohibited. Don't get me wrong. It, I mean, it eventually it was prohibited. You know. Hands down. So, even if it was uh, even if it wasn't prohibited there, it was later on. So, anyway. Yeah. And uh, for any Christian men who may be listening to this and say, "Hey, prostitute! I'm allowed to see a prostitute." Uh, possibly not. You're going to want to look at First Corinthians six sixteen to seventeen. Uh, you know, don't join your body. You know you're part of Christ's body, so if you if you join your body to a prostitute, then you're causing Christ to be joined to a prostitute. Yeah. Anyway, it's an interesting okay. verse because it seems like Paul is adding to the Torah, which he wouldn't be allowed to do. But uh, one theory I've heard is that uh, he's simply pointing out that it would be unequally yoked, and uh, yeah. You know, and you shouldn't do something like that. Not, he's not forbidding. I don't know. I don't believe Paul is a false prophet. So I believe that there's yeah. some interpretation there that makes it compatible. Mm-hmm. So, basically, this uh, Asherah or Persephone, uh, she's a fertility goddess. That's one of the things that she rules over is fertility and actually sexuality and sensuality. I think actually the the sacral uh, chakra specifically. But um, that's why she was so popular in the ancient world, especially in because all these cultures were agrarian. So obviously fertility would be something extremely important, you know what I mean, in all aspects of life. So you can see why a uh, fertility goddess would be her worship would be very popular. Uh, and I, again, I think that she's one of the most, she's basically the most mutable being, uh, even more so, I think, than the, well, definitely more so than the Son of God. Um, she's the most mutable being. She changes the most. Like, she has some, she can, she can basically go from dark to light, to light to dark. And that's why I think that, uh, some forms of her worship were allowed in the past because she used to be very light in the past. You know, there were points where she was very light. She was a very light being. And she became more dark and more darkened as time went on. Um, So, it goes on, it says, uh, Lustful gods are cruel and demand to be worshipped with human blood. Hence, to the king idol Molech, the Canaanites, with some contiguous nations, immolated their sons and daughters. Okay, sorry, I'm going to stop again. And just (laughs) make another comment on what I was saying earlier. So, I think that uh, another reason why she's Lilith is because, uh, well, I think as Lilith, you know, she left Adam, right? Mm-hmm. 
and she basically, well, she left Adam, and then she, well, she basically left Adam for who I believe was the, the lower, the, the lower self of Satan. You know, her, her, what she did on Earth was reflected of what happened. You know, what she did in in, in heaven, or what she was a heavenly being. She uh, became, you know, the wife of Hades. The same thing happened in her mortal incarnation. She left Adam, and according to Jewish legend and tradition, you know, she became the wife of uh, Samael and bore all these demon children and evil, evil offspring and such. But I think she actually became the the wife of Cain, <clears throat> one of the wives. But. I think that uh, she, this being, actually symbolized, or Israel is actually symbolized by this being and personified by her as well. Which is why you see kind of the same typology and the same thing happen with Israel because uh, uh, Yahweh divorces Israel for uh, wandering and straying after other gods and basically you know, committing spiritual adultery and whoredom, you know. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same same kind of thing happened. And, but but he's going to eventually uh, redeem her and take her back. And, uh, I, again, I think see, people will read all these. They'll just assume that all this is just symbolic license that the Bible's using. All this is Israel being personified as a woman. This is all just, uh, you know, allegory and stuff. I think it's actually, there's actually a real being, this, this queen of heaven figure that uh, that Israel is personified by, which, you know, would, would equally explain all these passages that's, you know, using this seemingly allegorical language and personifying Israel with a with a female, a woman. Yeah. I think that uh, you know, you see this in Revelation 12 as well with the woman, uh, the heavenly woman who gets uh, uh, who who gets purified by the sun or cleansed by the sun and then becomes his his wife, Christ's wife. You know. Hmm after he purifies her, and I think that's the same woman, if you read that in context, that's the same woman as the the Scarlet Woman, the Whore of Babylon. She gets, uh, she gets, uh, cleansed or purified by the sun. And then he, he, he remarries her. Hmm. So, that's, uh, you know, people ask, well, why would, uh, you know, why would God use such a, basically use a whore to, I don't know, why would he put so much emphasis on her? Well, because he, she represents his people, you know. what What's happening on earth is just a reflection of, of heaven, just like everything. The whole as above, so below thing. And uh, she's the primary instrument that he's used in this creation cycle, apart from obviously the son of God, Christ to communicate his attributes, you know, his, uh, his long suffering, his patience, his grace, you know, if he can redeem this being and take her back, then he can redeem and take back anybody. That's the point. 
yeah. demonstrate his love, you know, and who he is. You know? Mm-hmm. So, so, to get back to the reading, so it said, um, at such crimes as these, nature shudders, and Palestine was fain and abhorrence to eject her inhabitants. Who shall say that the Most High has not the right to extinguish such polluters of the earth and contaminators of mankind as these? Doubtless the world has been made permanently the sweeter and the more habitable by reason of the occasional divine use of the bosom of destruction. Let us remember that there was long waiting before these nations were destroyed. Not till their iniquity was, quote, full did the stroke of vengeance fall. It was doubtless both safe and kind that the extermination was to be made ruthlessly complete. And let us not forget that Joshua's commission was divine, direct, positive, explicit, and repeated, and therefore no example for generals destitute of such sanction. How far other commanders may volunteer or be lawfully commissioned to follow Joshua's example is for us a question of casuistry, into which we are not here called upon to enter. Moreover, divine mercy drew a line around the devoted nations, and outside that line, peoples might be spared, unless, indeed, the interdict went forth against them. While, on the other hand, divine equity warned the Hebrews that if they fell into the same sins, they should receive a like punishment. For their father's sake, indeed, they were not to be utterly annihilated, but short of that, if they would sin, they must suffer. Their land would vomit them forth, We know the sad sequel. They fell into sensual and cruel idol worship, and God kept his word as the captivities of Assyria and Babylon attest. We have yet to trace the long and painful story of Israel's sin and punishment. Let us be thankful we shall also have the privilege of turning over to a brighter leaf and dwelling on glowing prophetic songs of redemption, deliverance, and salvation. Okay, and then he goes on, he says, So much by way of general statement. If the inquiry be urged whether there is sufficient evidence to justify the sweeping statements made at the outset of this note, the answer can only be in the affirmative, due allowance being made for the circumstantial character of the testimony. It is just as well that the proof should, in a sense, run between the lines. In fact, it is only when some adequate knowledge is possessed of the really obscene and bloodthirsty nature of idol worship in Western Asia that the mind is prepared to feel the full force of illusions scattered throughout the Old Testament. Many indeed are the allegations against Israel for going unchastely after other gods, but even the needlessly coarse terms of our public versions in speaking of it as, quote, going a whoring after idols, have probably failed to suggest to the majority of even educated minds the awful and undoubted fact that such worship was accompanied by rites to use the guarded language of the Oxford Jesenius, quote, sometimes involving actual prostitution, end quote. Hence, there would appear to be something like a moral necessity to lift a little the veil which hides from view the true character of the worship of the Baals, the Asherahs, and the Ashtaroths of Canaan. As to the worship of the local Baals, it is attested that, quote, it was debased by repulsive immorality. That's from Hastings' Dictionary of the Bible, page 210. Further, quote, when Israel entered Canaan, the worship of the Baalim was everywhere present, 
as it was especially associated with agriculture, which the Israelites learned from the Canaanites, there was danger lest they should take over also the religious festivals connected with the various agricultural seasons, and thus succumb to the deadly fascination of the sensual nature, nature worship of the older inhabitants. That, that this actually happened, we learn from the history. As to the Asherahs, there is a doubt which does not in any way affect the main issue. The doubt is merely whether Asherah is the name of a distinct goddess, as well as the name of the, quote, poles, stumps, or stems, which represented her, or whether the notorious, quote, Ashtoreth, or Astarte, was herself worshipped under these obscene images. Okay, so it says down here in a footnote, obscene they manifestly were, as the monumental figures of them plainly enough attest. How readily a, quote, pollard could be shaped to suggest a conjunction which virtuous shame must ever hide can well be imagined. And the smallest predominance given to the one or other element, which would be quite enough to account for the interchange and in usage between the two forms, Asherim, masculine, and Asheroth, feminine. Okay, uh... So it says, uh, in any case, the rites associated with the, quote, Asherahs were immoral. The Encyclopedia Britannica unhesitatingly designates Asherah an impure goddess. But even if, as some think, the two names become confused, so that even when Asherah is named Astarte, is ultimately intended, we have only to pass on and give a moment's attention to the latter to reach the fearful conclusion already indicated. As to Astarte, then, quote, she must have been preeminently the goddess of sexual passion. By Greeks and Phoenicians alike, she is habitually identified with Aphrodite, and there are sufficiently definite allusions to the unchaste character of the rites with which she was worshipped, end quote. Her devotees were initiated with impure rites. From the point of view thus obtained, the passages referred to below slowly unfold their terrible significance. And it says down here in a footnote, um, Leviticus, uh, looks like 18, 26 through 30, and then 20, 22, Numbers 25, 1 through 18, Deuteronomy 23, 17. And then it says, where the discreet reader will please note, by turning to this passage, the result of combining our rendering of the text with the plainer terms employed in the footnote appended thereto, quote, devotee, sacred person by profession, in reality, enticing to uncleanness as a part of the service of a god or goddess, the prevalence of the custom in the idolatries around, giving need and point to the stern prohibition. And then it says, 1 Kings uh, 14.24, 15, 12, 13, 22, 46, 2 Kings 23, 7, uh, 2 Chronicles uh, 15, 16, 18, to, or, uh, 28, 2, Psalm uh, something, I don't know, CVI 35 through 38, Isaiah LVII 3 through 8. It says, in rendering which, the only doubt is how plain the illusion should be made in the actual words employed in translation. For whether with first we put for Yiddith Hazith, quote, thou pointest the pen, a 
paraphrase for the penis directus, end quote. Or with Shane, quote, when thou sawest the phallus, end quote. In either case, we do but get a glimpse of a monstrous custom prevalent in the East and not unknown in the West as a reference to the Greek phallos and the Latin priapus will at once reveal. And then it says, uh, so basically, I mean, to sum it up, they were making cult sexual objects that uh, actually, you know, represented these beings, like basically like dildos and stuff, phallic objects that they were using in these rites. And there's actually a passage in the Bible that explicitly refers to this. Most people probably aren't aware of this, but it's Ezekiel uh, 16, 17. So I'm going to go to that and read it. Okay. Let's see. Uh... Says, uh, but thou didst take thine adorning jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given thee, and didst make thee images of the male, and didst act unchastely with them. Talking about a dildo. Yeah. So. I never saw that one before. <laughs> yeah. So basically, you know, that's what I think this uh, Asherah worship degenerated into was, uh, you know, as man became more wicked, obviously a sexual goddess would create problems. You know, obviously their worship would degenerate accordingly, which it did. I was going to say, too... Um, you see in the in the pair when it talks about Baal and Ashtoreth, or you know the Asherahs and the Baals. This is basically this pair that they were reverencing. They were worshiping Satan and this this consort that he had, one of his consorts, and that was this uh, the Queen of Heaven. You know this Asherah goddess, Persephone and Hades. It's the same pair. That's why I don't think there was ever a time when, you know, Baal worship was permissible or, you know, that was always spoken of negatively because that, that was Satan. You know, Baal was Satan, you know? Yeah. So. Very interesting. I, uh-huh. I'm, this is mostly new to me. Um, I think I'm, I have one more article I might want to read just for, uh, just to give people a little, just to give people to give them more credibility on, you know, who Asherah is and and where she yeah. is in the Bible and such. So, I think this is what, this is from a Jewish encyclopedia online. So it says, uh, Asherah or Asherim, the Bible, it says, uh, Asherah, along with Astarte and Anath, was one of the three great goddesses of the Canaanite pantheon. In Canaanite religion, her primary role was that of mother goddess. In mythological texts from the late Bronze Age, circa 1550 to 1200 B.C., city-state of Ugarit, she is called, quote, the creatress of the gods, end quote. Her consort at Ugarit, the god El, is called creator. 
El is also referred to as father and patriarch at Ugarit, as Asherah likewise is called mother. Their children from the pantheon form the pantheon of the gods, who are said to number 70. A Hittite myth similarly mentions the 77 and 88 children of Asherah. On occasion in Ugaritic myth, Asherah performs the maternal role of wet nurse. Ugaritic and other Canaanite materials further associate Asherah with lions, indicating power, serpents representing immortality or healing, and sacred trees signifying fertility. Thus, Asherah's children at Ugarit can be called her, quote, pride of lions, end quote. The goddess is called, quote, lady of the serpent, end quote. In 2nd millennium B.C. inscriptions from the Sinai, the late 13th century B.C. Lachish, ever dedicated, or Ewer, dedicated to Asherah, is decorated with images of sacred trees. The Canaanite association of Asherah with sacred trees is also found in Israelite tradition, for example, one of the Canaanite epithets of Asherah, Elot, or goddess, is etymologically identical to the Hebrew word for the terebinth tree, Elah. Another word for terebinth, Allah, A-L-L-A, and two words for oak, Elam and Alon, A-L-L-O-N, are also closely related. Genesis 2, 4b through 3:24 may further suggest the association of Asherah with sacred trees, since the way that Eve, quote, the mother of all living, end quote, in three, verse 3:20, is dedicated in, or is described in the Eden story, mimics in certain respects the role of the Canaanite mother goddess Asherah. Basically, I think what happened with Eve was a, was a type of what happened with Lilith before her, hmm. but. She wasn't the same being, and Asherah was, uh, you know, was Lilith, not Eve. If a correspondence holds, then the trees of life and of knowledge in the Eden narrative may also reflect Asherah imagery. Most significant, though, in demonstrating Israel's association of Asherah with sacred trees are biblical materials that describe the Asherah, singular, or Asherah in plural the cult objects that are associated with the goddess Asherah more than 30 times in the Hebrew Bible. These cult objects are generally described as being in the shape of a pole or stylized tree. Like a pole or tree, they can be said to be planted, stood up, or erected. Conversely, when destroyed, these cult objects can be described as being cut down, hewn down, or uprooted. They can also be said to be burned, overturned, or broken. Both the Greek and Latin translations of the Bible, moreover, render the words Asherah and Asherim as, quote, grove or, quote, wood. According to the biblical record, these sacred poles or stylized trees associated with Asherah were erected by the Israelites throughout most of their history, especially during the pre-monarchic or tribal period, Judges 6, 25 through 26, 28 and 30, and during the period of the divided monarchy, both in the northern kingdom of Israel, 1 Kings 14, 15, 16, and par- parallel references in 2 Chronicles, and in Judah in the south, 1 Kings 14, 23, 15, 13, 2 Kings 18, 4, 21, 3, 7, 23, 6, 14, and parallel references in 2 Chronicles. These sacred poles were situated in various locations. In Judges 6, a sacred pole of Asherah is said to have stood beside the altar of the Canaanite storm god, Baal. The Bible also connects sacred poles with the, quote, high places, open-air cult sites, 
and frequently mentions that they stood, quote, on every high hill and under every green tree, end quote. 1 Kings 14.23, 2 Kings 17.10, 18.4, 21.3, 23.13-14, 2 Chronicles 14.3, 17.6, 31.1, 33.3, 19.3, 31.3, 31.4, 31.5, 31.6, 31.7, 31.8, 31.9, 31.10, 31.11, 31.12, 31.13, 31.14, 31.15, 31.16, 31.17, 31.18, 31.19, 31.20, 31.21, 31.22, 31.23, 31.24, 31.25, 31.26, 31.27, 31.28, 31.29, 31.30, 31.31, 31.32, 31.33, 31.34, 31.35, 31.36, 31.37, 31.38, 31.39, 31.40, 31.41, 32.43, 31.44, 31.45, 31.46, 31.47, 31.48, 31.49, 31.50, 31.51, 31.52, 31.53, 31.54, 31.55, 31.56, 31.57, 31.58, 31.59, 31.60, 31.61, 31.62, 31.63, 31.64, 31.65, 31.66, 31.67, 31.68, 31.69, 31.70, 31.71, 31.72, 31.73, 31.74, 31.75, 31.76, 31.77, 31.78, 31.79, 31.80, 31.81, 31.82, 31.83, 31.84, 31.85, 31.86, 31.87, 31.88, 31.89, 31.90, 31.91, 31.92, 31.93, 31.94, 31.95, 31.96, 31.97, 31.98, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31.99, 31
Unfortunately, our sources do not provide enough information to identify definitively which Israelites were particularly attracted to the worship of Asherah or the reasons for this attraction. One possibility is that in royal circles, especially in the southern capital city of Jerusalem, the cult of Asherah was particularly attractive to the king's mother. Not only was the queen mother's position in the palace generally paralleled by Asherah's position as mother goddess in the heavens, but also the queen mother's status as the wife of the king's father suggests an affinity to Asherah's cult. This is because southern royal ideology typically described the king's metaphorical father as Yahuwah. For those ancient Israelites who saw Asherah as Yahuwah's consort, this should suggest a correspondence between the queen mother, the wife of the king's biological father on earth, and Asherah, the wife of Yahuwah, who is the king's metaphorical father in the heavens. Whether women, more generally, were more likely to be devotees of Asherah's cult is unknown. There is some biblical evidence that does see women as particularly attracted to goddess cults. For example, women's role in the cult of the Queen of Heaven, according to Jeremiah 7.18 and 44.17-19 through 19 and 25, and the various female figurines found in domestic contexts at multiple Israelite sites might also suggest this, assuming, as many scholars do, that women played an especially important role in family-centered religious activities. Nevertheless, the presence of Asherah's cult in the Jerusalem temple and in the cult city of Bethel indicates that worship of the goddess was also appealing to men, given that it was an all-male clergy that officiated at these and at every Israelite religious site. The presence of Asherah's cult in Israel also raises questions about the nature of the monotheistic confession that is often assumed to be a core principle in Israelite faith. Generally speaking, biblical scholars assume that full-blown, radical, or philosophical monotheism came to Israel fairly late in its history, during the time of the exile in the 6th century BC. Prior to this, we have abundant evidence that other gods and goddesses were worshipped in Israel in addition to, or sometimes instead of, Yahuwah. Yet even in these earlier materials, we sometimes see evidence of a phenomenon that comes to dominate in the exilic period the impulse to assimilate the attributes of the many gods and goddesses of older polytheistic systems to the one god, Yahuwah. Language that speaks of God as mother, for example, as in Deuteronomy 32.18, Numbers 11.12-13, Isaiah 4.45.9-10, 49.15, 66.13, probably represents the assimilation of Asherah's maternal characteristics to Yahuwah. Okay, so that was the end of that article. So, a few comments. Obviously, we don't trust any of these archaeological quote unquote, supposed discoveries. I think these are this is just the Illuminati deliberately putting this stuff out there to basically leak this information sort of as mockery. Um, revelation of the method, you know, they put the truth out deliberately. Um, and uh, I, I, I would affirm some comment. I would affirm some some form of the the so-called Deuteronomist, Deuter, Deuteronomist, or Deuteronomist, yeah, the Deuteronomist narrative that uh, scholars often talk about, you know, how Israelite religion basically evolved from this polytheistic religion to gradually, eventually, to a monotheist religion. I would affirm some agreement with that. I don't think that it was... I don't agree with them, though, that it was borrowed and stolen from Canaanites... Uh, but I do think that um, 
basically their earlier faith they were there was they were allowed to worship other beings alongside Yahweh and that later on it became more restricted for the reasons I already stated that that I would differ from the scholars on you know they would appeal to some sort of evolution you know like darwinist progression as the reason but I would I would assert that it's because uh the nature of man degenerated and he became more wicked so uh the law became more you know was more restricted there were more restrictions um, and so also when it again so the supposed discovery where they found these in uh inscriptions where it said Yahweh and his Asherah of like a pair I think that's the Illuminati uh deliberately putting that out there because they're basically putting the truth right out there in a form of mockery. Like, Christians are never going to get this. That's why they put it out like that. They're never going to... They're obviously never going to be able to understand what that means or, or um, correctly interpret that. Well, I think that, uh, like I said, like we see in Revelation, when the, the whore of Babylon is cleansed, you know, she becomes clothed with the sun and becomes purified, and then Christ remarries her because she's the being who personifies Israel. Well, that's Yahweh remarrying her. It's the same entity. Well, I think that she was originally a wife or consort of of Yahweh. <laughs> you know? And what happened in heaven is the same thing that happened on earth. He lost her to Hades or Satan. And again, it was reflected in terms of what happened on earth. Adam lost her. See? As above, so below, the same thing happened. See that? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she was known, she was basically known in the ancient world as the goddess of a thousand names. Um, you see the same basic attributes, though, with all these different goddesses. I think all, all basically, she had all these different names, but they referred to the same goddess. She was always, a. uh, a uh a maiden or a virgin warrior or like a chaste war, uh uh a virgin whore she was also known as a virgin whore or or uh she also is like the um the hecate or the triple goddess in uh like wiccan religion you know with the the mother uh crone and then uh What's her other aspect? The maiden aspect, the virgin aspect. Yeah. Because I think basically they're encoding there. Those those represent three of her most important incarnations that she's incarnated as. Hmm. I think the mother refers to. <laughs> well, I actually think that uh, she incarnated as Mary, the mother of Christ. Really. That's that incarnation. I think that. The crone. Uh, not exactly sure who the crone referred to. I, I forget on that. It might be might be Semiramis, but I'm not sure. And then uh, I think the or no, yeah, the mother was Semiramis, I believe. The maiden was, or the virgin was Mary. And then the crone. I forget who the crone was, but. It was another 
another of her incarnations. Would it, would it be Lilith? No. No, I forget. I forget who the crone was. Would it be Nama? Actually, uh, I think the crone. Actually, I think the crone might be uh, the, the the queen of Israel. Because she's yeah she's she incarnates as the queen she's the queen of Israel as well, one of them at least. There's there's more than one queen of Israel, but she's the the main one that's coming. Because <sighs> David's obviously going to have more than one wife, but there's going to be more than one queen. Yeah. Well, I uh, finally found the gist of what I was looking for. Well, hold on, hold on. So I just want to say something. So okay. to explain her, you know, her epithet of like the the uh, the virgin warrior and stuff like that, or the that's why you see that's that's basically Semiramis, and that's why you see uh, a lot of these depictions of Semiramis. They incorporate overly masculine attributes or imagery, like almost like it's a hermaphrodite, like you see with the the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Because Semiramis basically had very masculine qualities. Um, And that's why. That's why they do that. And that's why she's called this virgin warrior. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, when Nimrod died, you know, she had, she was basically be the ruler, you know, and had to assume, like, this masculine, I mean, she was like a, a dominatrix, or in a, Grody. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I mean, <laughs> you know, she had to take on these, these overtly masculine qualities, you know, to compensate, but, uh, and she's also called a virgin whore for, you know, obvious reasons, because she's, she's, uh, represents the duality of that. She she was both a virgin and a whore. You know? Yeah. She kind of represents both extremes of both sides. So, yeah. That's all I got on that, I think. All righty. Well, uh, back on the subject of cousin marriage... I have stumbled across some very interesting uh, research. Uh, Sometime in the Middle Ages, and I believe it was, uh, I believe it was at the Fourth Lateran Council that it became official and widespread, which is in uh, 1215, they tell us. Um, the, uh, The Catholic Church, which was very powerful then, it uh, it made cousin marriages out to a certain degree illegal. I believe it was out to the sixth degree, which uh, it's confusing because the definitions changed later on uh, on what how you calculated degrees. But basically, um, it made it made it illegal to marry anyone out to I believe your fourth cousin. So you had to marry a fifth cousin or beyond. And what this did was it broke down the, the 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 nations or the tribes in Europe at that time were more 
well, tribal instead sure. of nation state oriented. And what this yeah. did is it, it forced um it forced out marriage. Um uh-huh. and it and it destroyed the uh power of the nobility across Europe at that time. Hmm. Or at least the traditional stuff, which made the Catholic Church more powerful. It was sure. basically a, a war against their power. Yeah. But uh covertly. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, and honestly, if you look at the uh, the Leviticus 18 list of taboos, um, again, first cousin marriage is not forbidden. Nope. Um, it, basically, it was these. This was the list. You couldn't marry a, a parent or a grandparent, or yep. a a child or a grandchild, you couldn't marry a sibling or a half sibling. Yep. Um, by blood, you could marry a step sibling who was not, who didn't share a parent with you by blood. Mm-hmm. Um. And a nephew could not marry an aunt. Yeah. But and uh, and then you got a few in-law prohibitions. Siblings yep. in law, parents in law. Uh, but but other than that, that's it. Which which leaves uncle niece on the table and first cousin. Yep. So it's really interesting to see how different it is than what we're than our modern, you know, medieval Roman Catholic inspired list of taboos. Yeah. But uh, Chris, again, where you read that. Uh, thing a little while ago that that told about uh, how the genes were stronger with closer you're talking about the book yeah that was from uh, the mucusless diet healing system from Arnold Errett okay uh, I wouldn't I really wouldn't recommend this book um, <laughs> really other than you know because I don't agree with his uh, was a vegan, well, right? fruitarian, but yeah, he makes a lot of uh, claims in here that I definitely would not uh, be in agreement with. So I think it's a great cleansing detox diet. You know, I agree with him on that. But in terms of uh, building a strong body and you know getting proper nutrition and everything else. Uh, Just a temporary I mean, thing, though. Yeah, but that's not what that's not what he argues. So. Yeah. No, I know. I just wanted that uh, that piece of his of that info. Yeah, it was from. Uh, let's see. From, I guess he calls them lessons in here, but it's chapter uh, 23. Actually, the last chapter in the book. Okay. Yep. It's a real short book, too. Cool. Well, was that all the uh, the sexual taboos? Did we cover all the uh, issues there? 
I believe, well, we could also talk, well, there's a few other ones. We could talk about how it was permissible uh, in the conquest for them to, well, oh, right. the Bible the, actually the doesn't, the Bible doesn't, well, yeah, concubinage as well, but the Bible doesn't actually explicit, explicitly tell us or say what uh, the the war booty, you know, the the maidens that they were allowed to take, or what exactly they did with them, or what. But, I mean, I, I I think it's. I mean, it, there's only so many possibilities, you know. I think you can basically infer that, uh, yeah, there were some sort of se- it was for sex, you know. I don't know what other uh, well, I don't know what other conclusion you could draw from it. Um, I thought it was pretty explicit. Some of it, I mean, some of it. It said that if you did take a uh, virgin girl, even you know from your enemies that you killed and more. Yeah, you had to give her like a few months for her to mourn her yeah. family. Yeah, was a year. Then, oh yeah, maybe. I thought it was a few months. Our I remember right now. So. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and then and you then could it, go in and then you could go into her, yeah. Yeah, you had to shave her head, trim her nails, yeah. all that. Mm-hmm. And then if you didn't if it didn't wind up working out, if she was still, you know, resistant to the idea or for what other whatever other reason, you had to let her go and she wasn't quite quite as low in status as other slaves would be because you weren't allowed to sell her. Right. Right. Because you already, you humbled her. Or you already humiliated her, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, is what we're saying is that Yahweh permitted uh, the Israelites to uh, uh basically when they were in the in the Canaanite conquest they were supposed to kill everything except there were some provisions made for the women the maiden or virgin women they could take as part of their their booty you know for the purposes of sex yeah <laughs> i mean that's the uh i've heard that word misused so many times people don't know the definition of concubine and I'm sure it's one of those words where they did that on purpose to confuse us but oh yeah means slave wife not adulterous mistress sure yeah how I interpret it is like a second or third wife it's like a lesser wife it's a wife of lesser status yeah well yeah and it's interesting uh if if the if the concubine had originally been the servant or slave of the wife instead of the husband, then uh, I believe she was retained as the wife's private property. Well, not private, but her property, her servant. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly. Mm. Yeah, you'll see that uh, Hagar, Hagar was still Sarah's servant. Yeah. Sarah still gave her command. Yeah, yeah, even yeah, yeah, Yahweh told her to go back. To, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no uh, condemnation or prohibition of concubinage anywhere in the Bible, even in, in even into the New Testament. So. 
So don't make war with Israel and uh, <laughs> do secret descendants of uh, Israelites. You better be on God's side or he'll let you become a slave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, hey, Chris, why don't you tell us the uh, the conspiracy to confuse us with the definition of fornication? Okay, well, supposedly it's it's translate or transliterated, yeah, translated from the word uh, porn, pornea. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, if even if you do like a just a surface examination of all the passages where that word is used, you will see that it absolutely does not mean what Christians today think fornication means, which is premarital sex. I mean, nowhere in the context is that its meaning. It it, it usually always refers to some sort of spiritual uh, adultery, like in, a, in, a, in an idolatrous context. And it really has nothing at all to do with premarital sex. So this whole, this whole idea of fornication, which is an artificial word, but with the even more artificial meaning attached to it of uh, premarital sex is not found it in the Bible really anywhere. Um, would you agree? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, basically, pornea, which is the, the Greek word that they translate into either fornication or sexual immorality in yeah. the New Testament, that's a direct translation of the Old Testament Hebrew word Zana, or Zona, Mm -hmm. which meant sexual immorality as defined by the Torah. So that that Leviticus 18 list of uh, taboos and, you know, the various other laws. Mm -hmm. There's actually instances where uh, premarital sex would actually be permissible uh, because, well... You have instances of what you could call sexual hospitality in the Bible, where, for instance, uh, when the the sodomites came to Lot's door and they, you know, they wanted to fornicate with his—I just use the word fornicate, but you know what I mean—with his, uh, you know, his the male angels, yeah, yeah, the angelic guests that he had. He offered them his, uh, you know, his daughters instead. So well, yeah, I, I mean, they, they, I they weren't very. Point to that as a, an example that would be normative. Those were, you know, that whole city was disgusting. Sure, sure. But uh, yeah, um, if uh, a man had, it, it's a contradiction in terms for a man to have premarital sex with a virgin, because mm-hmm. sex would be the initiation of marriage. Right. Right. Now her father could annul that marriage by opposing it. So it would be canceled, but it wasn't uh it wasn't a sin. Yeah. It, you know, I forgot to 
bring up a certain uh, uh, point with that new understanding of how marriage works with the Torah. Basically, once we lost that understanding that to have sex with a virgin or, you know, in the, in the rare case of uh, a girl who was no longer a virgin because her father annulled the uh, sex or marriage that took her virginity, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, you know, sex with such a girl would initiate marriage um, unless the father annulled the marriage. So in modern times, we don't know that. And uh, by the Torah standard, probably a good 90% of even Christians are living in what the, what the Torah would consider adultery because, um, you know, not many, not as many men today uh, are the ones who take their wives' virginity. And uh, the father's not understanding that they have the authority and responsibility to annul a marriage if it's, uh, you know, if it's not if it's not who they want their daughter to marry. And, you know, many fathers not even knowing now that daughters leave the house so young and go off to college and become career feminists with their PowerPoints and their cats and their abortions, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of women who are technically married out there, but who are, you know, they haven't stayed with that first husband or the first husband didn't stay with them, but they never got it officially annulled right. to their father. Right, So yeah. they're still technically married. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's a, a frustrating and probably impossible to fix problem until Israel is restored. But... Yep. Uh, this might be some scary news for anybody in such a marriage, which is not technically, it's technically adulterous. Um, sure. If you think that God wouldn't be so mean as to break those marriages up, um, I certainly would like to hope so myself, but then you need to read the book of Nehemiah, where he forced the Israelite men who had taken wives and had children from the forbidden foreign nations around them to break those unions off and send the wives and children away, it yep. may actually happen again. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mhm. Yeah, I mean that's how serious intermarriage was. You know, all you have to do is read that. Cause, I mean, God didn't care about breaking up the families, or I mean, He didn't care about sending away the children either. I mean. <laughs> Those you are the know, ones they, who later became the Sumerians, right? Or the Samaritans, it? yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, that's the same thing. But yeah. Yeah, so heavy mm-hmm. topic there. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's uh is that it then for so that section, yeah. Yeah, I know we got the calendar next, but I think we might have to we might have to cut okay. this one off again. Okay, no problem. Just just for my on my schedule. Okay. Yeah, so Yeah, let's do it here then. Was that all you had then? Yeah. For that, that? Uh, okay. that's all.
All right, well, we will continue then with uh, the calendar issues. I, I don't really have much on that, so you'll be... I have uh, a few, and we can segue into... Okay. Uh, yeah, whatever else. Cataclysm, and... Well, there's a lot of conspiracy behind it that I didn't uh, put down when I sent oh, you the sure. notes. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right, so that will be our next talk. And... Yeah, I mean, we can do that whenever. All right. Tomorrow we'll or whenever. In, uh, yeah, either tomorrow or Thursday. Sure. You mean, or Friday? Yeah, whatever day of the week it'll be. I don't care about <laughs> that stuff. <laughs> okay. All right, well, thanks for coming on, Ross. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Yep. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, bye. All right, bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.